in, in leaps and bounds in ways that um, are hard to explain, not in uh, necessarily uh, maturity, but just in how he's ministered and his love comes coming forth. And uh, he's a great man of God. He always ministers to me every time he speaks. So I want us to have that expectation that Mitch is coming up to maybe prophesy into our lives and maybe to show us what God has for us or maybe to give us correction and give us direction to get in the right alignment with God for this season. So come on, Brother Mitch. Praise the Lord, everyone. Uh, the Lord has had to grow my love because it's not natural to me. I wasn't raised in a home where love was natural. It was temporary and it was earned. Everything, I understand meritocracy, earning everything, and it is a challenge at times. When you're pushing so hard to have compassion for those that are struggling to push at all. When we were in this lesson this morning, and I loved it, I really did, this Sunday school lesson, something occurred to me about the woman at the well that I just never really stopped to pay attention to. That he told her, Go get your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you say, well, for you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now, he's not your husband. And it, it occurred to me that women at that time could not divorce their husbands. And so this woman was sitting in a place where she was sitting because she had either she has either suffered rejection or death. Everybody who was supposed to love her didn't want her or had been taken from her. And now she's sitting in a place where the community doesn't even want her. And she says, your God doesn't even want me. Church, woe to us if we become the instrument the devil uses to kill the faith that he can't destroy. But the hurting and the rejected will show up where there's water. They will. What we have is so precious. What we have is so necessary. It's also why it's fought against so hard for you to stop praying. Because everything has to be planted by the river. And if our rivers dry up, no one can be planted. 
I was in here last night at negative 12. <laughs> and I don't know if you can receive it, but the angelic move in here was immense. It was. I thought about waking Thomas up. <laughs> I really did. And I was like, nah, he needs some rest. He's going to be strumming. <laughs> but what was so amazing to me was while it was so cold outside, it was so warm in here. Because you see, the atmosphere, there's no such thing as cold. There's only exothermic and endothermic. There's that which is giving off heat and there's that which is absorbing heat. And I don't need to tell a man what cold feels like. But it occurred to me as I was standing outside trying to warm up the car that I could stand out there and give all I have to give to this atmosphere and never be able to change it. It could drain everything from me and it not make a difference. Because we can't change the atmosphere of this city of our own power. But what moves in this house, what we get to sit in, not because we're somehow righteous and better than others, it is because we have been extended grace and adopted through his plan of salvation. I get to have angels move not because of how righteous I am, but because of whose son I am. And this is extended to all. She talked about where sin can't even be perceived. But how much worse is it when we get to a place where God can't be perceived? So as I was working on this sermon, I came here for clarity, and I'd like for us to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. I know we all know it, common scripture. But the Holy Word declares, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The New Living Translation would say it this way. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross. I want to talk to you today, joy to endure. Amen. Lord, we ask for your blessing. We ask for your anointing. I know you are present. Have your way. Open our hearts that we may receive this seed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> I love starting at Genesis 1, always. It's one of my favorite scriptures. It's a great place to start. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2 is also important. 
And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. You see, creation in the absence of His Word will always abide in darkness. It's not until the Word is released that the atmosphere of darkness will change. When we came into 2020, it was prophesied, get ready. We're not shifting a year, we're shifting a decade. And God is going to do something different this decade. That was prophesied in March. Four days later, COVID shut the whole United States down. And I don't know about you, but 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and even 2023 has been enduring. It has been a challenge. It has tried me over and over. But when God saw the light that he released, he said it was good and he divided the darkness from the light. Because darkness and light were never meant to abide with each other. We are making a mistake when we think we can mesh both in our vessel. You are doing something that is in opposition with one another. And he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And I love it because it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Because what God does will always overcome what darkness tries to claim. No matter how dark it starts, you need to know what is coming. And when Jesus himself looked to the joy, I don't believe this is him looking simply because he is before Pilate. I believe that this sight was there before he spoke, let there be light. It says he was slain from the foundation of the world. He knew upon creation exactly what he would have to endure. Because he knew if there was no cross, there was no us. He could not ever put his hand to your heart if he first did not have his hand nailed to the cross. A God that was spirit, what do you do? You are love and you have no way to demonstrate it. No way to express it outside of what you create. So he puts himself in a body. Because when we get up to heaven, he cannot wait to hug you. He cannot wait to wipe every tear from your eye. 
It was not enough that he just sat on a throne. He wanted something where you were touchable. And he became touchable too. But to get this, he had to face a cross. To get to what was promised, he had to endure pain. And church, I don't know if you've paid attention to your own life. There have been some promises that have been seated in this congregation in the short time I've been here. And then all of a sudden it seems like everything goes in direct opposition with it. You know, the world teaches that God does not care. The world teaches that God, if he's real, cannot wait to condemn you. The world teaches that it is nothing for him to throw you to hell. But when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, God stepped into the garden and he asked a question. Adam, where are you? This was not a question of condemnation. This was a question coming from a shepherd who was now looking for what was lost. He never had to question Adam before because Adam had never found himself in this condition. If God wanted to step in in judgment, he would have spoke to the serpent first. But he stepped in in grace and he spoke to Adam. God doesn't step into this house to condemn. He steps into the house at most to convict. Because what you're doing is harming you. What you're doing is limiting your vision of who he is. What you are doing is robbing you of your vision of where you're going. And what you're doing is seeding your limited vision to those who have none. Because you know, church, it says we were enemies in our mind because of our wicked deeds. Do you understand that more than your choices, more than your actions, the great tragedy of sin is what it does to your mind towards him? What you've done can be solved in a moment. But the fact that the deed is present, it starts to transform your mentality to become an enemy of Christ. I now start rebelling. I now start questioning. I now start judging. I now start condemning. This is why that snowball that we think is not such a big deal becomes so devastating everything in its path. 
But he says for the joy he endured. Because we need the word. We need the word if we are ever to understand where we're at. The word is a lamp to our feet. When you sit here and you don't know where you're at, you need the word. God, help show me where I'm sitting. The problem is, is that if I sit in darkness for too long, I can become in love with it. And now I don't want it to shine because it might show something I don't want to see. I can get to a place where my deeds, I don't want them reproved. Because church, when God began to take them out of Egypt, He in a moment broke their chains. He dealt with the enemy in Egypt and then began to deal with Israel in the wilderness. Because it is one thing for God to be a breaker of chains. It is an entirely different thing for Him to break my desire for those chains. Let's not pretend that there's not bondage that I don't love. Let's not pretend that some of those chains, boy, I love it when they're in gold. God had to take people to the wilderness to deal with them stopping from walking with Him. When we get a word, God is trying to help us see what we can't. He knows the thoughts He thinks towards us. And you can't even understand your thoughts because your heart is deceitfully wicked. You can't understand His thoughts because His are so much higher than ours. Higher than the heavens are from the earth and we don't even know where outer space ends. You don't even know the measurement of what He's talking about. You'd have to know the measure just to even understand that you don't understand. <laughs> but God is not a God of confusion. He's willing to give to those who ask. You see, church, I realized that God sometimes doesn't do a lot of answering because I am praying for my answer and not His. That I call this prayer, but really what He wants is communication. And the conversation's over when I'm done talking. Because I'm not really concerned with what you got to say. I'm just here to say what I got to say. I got a list of needs. I need you to take care of them for me. 
I got a list of things I'm dealing with. I need you to take care of that for me. I got this that I need you to bless. I got this that I need you to fight. I got this. And then all of a sudden, it's amen, and I'm out. And the Lord asked me one time after a prayer session like that. Just recent, I just did it. Within this month. And he asked me. He said, are you using me to get through your day? Or are you using your day to get to me? I said, Lord. And he said, why is it that everything you pray about, you pray with the intention that you don't want to have to talk to me about it ever again? Your prayers is so that you can talk to me less. It doesn't open up my time to talk to him. It should. But when it comes to this, I say thank you and then I'll never talk to him. This, say thank you, never talk to him. But there's such a depth that happens when I sit and I'm just talking to him because I want to talk to you. I'm not seeking anything. I'm not asking for anything. And you know, I have noticed that he releases the most power when all you're doing is seeking him first because he already knows what you're going to ask. And he'll already begin to release. See, when I'm asking for things, I'm asking for provision rather than my provider. But really what I need to be casting is the worry, the doubt, the pride, the stuff that is tangling me up towards these things that I'm dealing with. Because something happened as God moved them from their encampment in Egypt. They're just enslaved. And now I'm moving you to promise, but you have to go through this painful process we call wilderness. And the process in the wilderness became so excruciating at times, they were convinced, you're not my deliverer, you're trying to deliver us to death. And I stand up here telling you, there have been times in my walk where I have asked God, if you just wanted to destroy me, why didn't you just leave me where you found me? Were there not enough graves in Egypt, it would say? Could the world not have taken care of me just as well? Could it have not destroyed me? I was doing a great job destroying myself. Didn't need the trial. But that's because I have lost sight of what I'm moving to. I have become so consumed in my crucifixion that I forgot why I had to be crucified in the first place. When we have this word, this word is to bring life. It's to bring hope. It's to give you a vision for your life. 
You ever notice that God spoke to Noah and he said, this is where you're standing. The world is evil. I'm going to destroy it. And then he said, but this is where I'm taking you. He came to Abraham. This is where I'm taking you. You haven't even seen this yet. He came to Moses. And he told Moses, I'm coming to you because I hear the cry of the people. Go tell them that I'm coming to deliver them out. Man, what a word. Do you know that we still have that? He's coming to deliver us out. We still have that. And yet at times the pain can become so intense, I can become upset. Why did you upset the taskmasters? Was it not hard enough to do this? I have gotten so enthralled in my pain that I have asked God, please, no more promises. It only brings attack. I can't deal with more fowls of the air. And I'll tell you what just happened when I did that. I lost my joy. And when you lose your joy, it is impossible to endure. When you lose your vision of what you're going through and why, you will lose your ability to endure going through it. When we get to this place with God, all of a sudden Moses, he created this new thing. He said, I'm not eloquent of speech. So God finally gives in. He says, all right, I'll use your brother Aaron. He's a prophet. I'm going to use him as a prophet. And from then on out, everywhere in your Bible, and the word of the Lord came, you're reading a prophet. And the word of the Lord came, you're reading a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, you're reading a prophet. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, you're reading a prophet. Because church Without a vision, people perish. See, we as an organization cannot remove the prophetic and expect death not to follow. You can't have it that way. The word perish means to relinquish, to quit fighting, to give up, to yield to all your wickedness. I've lost my vision, so what am I doing this for? Because church, what happens is when we don't recognize the anointing of another office, we think we can substitute it. See, Aaron was anointed for his office, but he was not anointed to work the gold. That was on two others. But here came the people and said, fashion us a vision that we may worship. 
And what he did is he took what he wasn't anointed to do and thought he could reproduce the anointing. And when you do that, you will not produce the Lord's will. You will produce man's idolatry. This is why a pastor cannot replace a prophet. And a prophet cannot replace a pastor. We can't replace the evangelist the apostle or the teacher. We need them all. Because all ministries were in Christ Jesus. The entire fullness of the fivefold was present. And if you think you can endure your cross without the fullness of the ministry, not even Jesus would have attempted that. When we get into this, the word is there to give you a hope, not to condemn. I want you to notice that when the prophets prophesy, they are prophesying during some of the darkest seasons of Israel's history. And while at times they are prophesying, God is done dealing with this, you will finally, always find messianic prophetic promise they're telling them but it won't always be this way because I'm taking you to joy I'm taking you to joy I'm taking you to joy you see when they entered into the wilderness Israel dealt with something that they never dealt with before their desire for idols I never read of Abraham fashioning one I never read of Isaac or Jacob. But it's not until they were released from the bondage of a land of idolatry that they began to crave idolatry for themselves. And God began to deal with me on something that when the enemy is coming against you with desire like never before, it's not because the enemy has been given strength. It is because God is moving you in deliverance. He's not only taking you out of the place where it had its greatest strength, He's now taking you to the place where it needs to die in your own heart. It's not something that I say no to. And that's it. We think that we can deny the world and it's the same thing as saying yes to Jesus. It's not. Because those that think that they can walk in their self-righteousness will find that they live a life of misery, never getting satisfied with the Egypt they hunger for and never getting to walk in the promise, he said. The closest you'll ever get is to see it. The closest you might ever get is to be chased out of it. But church, the joy that was set before him, he had his eyes beyond 
the pain he was going through. And while he was there, he met two thieves. And they both, Scripture says, they both rallied on him. They both mocked. But then all of a sudden, the suffering of the Christ was able to turn the heart of one. To where he just sat there and said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I know that the Lord began to deal with me that there are times I have prayed, God, give me an open door. Give me an open door to witness and then begin to get mad when he starts the crucifixion. Oh, I want an open door, but I don't want to witness to him like this. I have sat here wondering at times why am I in the situation I'm in? But if God for a season will inconvenience me that it might strengthen his steps long after I'm gone, then so be it. If God could inconvenience me so that he could strengthen my kids' steps and teach them what church love looks like, then so be it. We get so caught up in what happens that we forget what we were told. All the time. I know that on prayer, if you were here, I had said, the Lord told them, get in the boat, we're going across. And then all of a sudden they got into a storm and they woke him up. And they said, do you not care? Where'd that come from? You know, there are storms that are meant to open up revelation about things we don't even know are there. Things that are hidden in our heart that take some serious sifting to come out. God doesn't do it out of cruelty. He does it out of purity. Because he desires you to walk dimensionally beyond what we have now. I noticed with Elijah, arguably one of the great prophets. Love that man. But he came up and he went to Mount Carmel and he said, we're about ready to have a showdown. Y'all are following Baal. Go get the prophets of Baal. And so, I noticed one thing about myself that happened 
in this story in 1 Kings 18, 19, when he called for them and says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal 450 and the prophets of the grove 400. Now notice this, which eat at Jezebel's table. Isn't it amazing that the wicked somehow had blessing during famine? You know how easy it is to start losing your strength in your walk when you got your eyes on what the wicked are gathering? How are you staying fed with such great provision in a time when everybody else is starving? Boy, Psalm 73 would say, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked cause his steps to start slipping. The wicked becoming my vision will quickly still what I was moving to. Not because they had access to it, but because I turned my focus. It says the joy that was set before him. It's no longer before you if you've turned to look at this. I'm now heading a different direction. I'm now walking on something else entirely. I'm now looking at something that isn't promise. I'm looking at what you're getting. And I notice that you don't deserve it. But that's the irony of the church. None of us do. I don't care if you pray 24 hours a day, never sleep and fast until you die. You do not deserve this. I don't deserve this. The moment we think that, we stop having compassion. And I've lost what I'm moving towards. Because what we're moving towards it requires mercy and forgiveness. This is why you need a cross. Because the cross is mercy and forgiveness. Church, the only way this world is ever going to be touched is if they touch the cross. And for most of them, the only way they're ever going to touch the cross is if you're willing to bear it out to them. How can I preach about something I refuse to endure? The church, the world is churched out. They are. I am. And I come to church. I'm churched out. I'm not afraid to say it. If it hurts people's feelings, then quit churching me. <laughs> I'm not showing up for church. I'm showing up for Christ. He's the lover of my soul. He stepped into my apartment when I was nothing but filth. He showed up in a light and told me he existed. 
And I didn't even know. I didn't even believe. I blasphemed him all the time. And do you know how surprising it was when I showed up to church and asked him, Hey, when does God show up? Well, he, he, he doesn't do that. Well, he just did it. Maybe we should have church in my apartment. Come on home. He was there. And here's the worst part about it. Is everybody who was ever offended at such a testimony has done their greatest to rob me of the joy of it. And here's what's worse than that, is at times I lift them. No, I'm not sorry. Because the enemy has convinced me at times in my walk that because I got my eyes off of him, because I got so consumed with the pain, that because I got so lost in this season of darkness that I might sit in, that all of a sudden I'm no longer worthy. But he showed up when I didn't say not one hallelujah. He showed up when I didn't have not one hand clap for him. And now you're going to tell me that while I'm trying to walk after God, he is just waiting to throw me away? It's a lie. It's a lie. And what's so devastating about it is that when we're trying to get there, when we're trying to get there, the enemy's fighting with everything he has because he knows if you're set free, there's nothing he can ever put in front of you that stops you from looting his kingdom. There's nothing he can do. There's no gate that can remain closed. There's no chain that can stop your feet. They tried with Paul. Put him in the lowest prison. Put shackles on him. Let's see if we can stop this. But just a little bit of prayer and a little bit of worship between two believers and all of a sudden you can shake the mightiest of prisons. See, the enemy has to learn that a church that won't stop praying, the last thing you want to do is try and put them in shackles. Because when everybody who is around you is shackled in like manner, the prayer of the believers looses all. When those prison doors flung open, it didn't open up a prison. It opened up the prison keeper's house. You need to expect a response from the enemy. And if this year has testified anything, it, it's true. The enemy has responded. We have been given key scriptures. How many here have realized 
that God gave you a key scripture to use at key moments for this year? Have you prayed it when you felt most shackled? He gave you the key. Have you come up to a door that will not open? He gave you the key. But when I lost the vision and I lost the joy, I just pocketed the key. Oh, well, that's a nice scripture. And never even considered the power of what was just handed to me. What did he mean that I would mount up as wings of eagles? What a great scripture. Is it no wonder that the enemy has done everything he can to keep me grounded? I know I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not. I know that everybody here has had their stuff. But let me tell you something. We have the word and we have the spirit. We have the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, you have done all that you can. And the promise is, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Can you get the Holy Ghost before you're baptized? Absolutely. But why not position yourself to make it easy? Repent and be baptized. Take care of what you can take care of first. Can God show up in your apartment? Yes, He can. But woe to us if we can't get Him to show up here. Doesn't it say He inhabits the praises of His people? If He's not showing up here, what's that say about my praise? It's not heartfelt. I have learned something this year. The pastor keeps preaching that we need to go sow seed. Sow that word. Sow that word. Sow that word. But something that God gave, Brother Mike already talked about this morning. You see, in Lamentations, the city is weeping. The heart of the city is weeping because of the loss of children and the barrenness that is now in it. I believe in witnessing to people, but I, I really believe the church needs to walk these streets and start declaring to its city what God has proclaimed. Let this weeping city of Sterling know God has not forgotten you, my dear. You are going to birth children yet again. Life is going to flourish in you yet again because God has spoken revival in your midst. Don't let the enemy seed this city with hopelessness. Don't let the enemy seed this this city with its tears. 
It's one thing to pray, but what we get in prayer, we need to declare to the heavens. Because the enemy, when we speak, we are letting the atmosphere know. You are to come into alignment with God or God will bring you into alignment. You can kneel or you can be knelt down. Period. But when the enemy responds, and it will, I want you to remember the joy. You see, Elijah, when he was up on Mount Carmel, he had a move of God. He told them, let the God that answers by fire, let him be God. We know the story. And yet, in 1 Kings 19, something happens. Jezebel responds. And she sends a note. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> I've dealt with that spirit enough. They're like, I'm about ready to write a letter back. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> I'm still here. But here's what happened to Elijah that has happened to me often, and I believe and suspect it has happened to those sitting here. I have become so fixated on what the enemy said because what I anticipated to happen didn't, that I lost the joy that God did exactly to what I prayed. Because the enemy wasn't willing to obey, I lost the joy that God was willing to hear. How much of what you're going through this year is because of prayers you prayed? And the problem is, is that when I start to pray a prayer, I, I have an outcome that I anticipate. But I learned something long ago when I was with Saldatna. And it was when I was with my brother. Before he came, I would pick a spot and I would pray over that chair. And I would put my face in that seat and I would weep. Because I believed the scripture when it said those who sow in tears will reap in joy. And I began to seed what I believed and where I wanted it to crop up. I didn't just throw it in the atmosphere. I wet the very seat I wanted you to be in. And it didn't happen overnight. And it didn't happen in a year. But I'm telling you it happened. And now the enemy once again is trying to tell me, your brother's a lost cause. Well, let me tell you what. Mm -hmm. 
If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. And I don't believe that's just me witnessing the word. I believe that's in tier two. Because I believe the salt of the tears was never meant to be kept. And when I got home from war, one of the things I could no longer do was cry. And the harder it became to cry, the harder my heart became. Have you ever seen the salt lakes in Utah? How calloused and crystallized, hard as a rock. When I got to a place where I couldn't let my tears flow anymore, I was conditioning my soil to no longer be able to receive seed. I was salting my own earth. And it's because I didn't trust him. See, faith and trust are not the same thing. Faith is me declaring, I know you're real. Trust is me saying, I believe who you say you are. And that's why every single time you have been in pain, there was a moment of joy that happened before it. But that pain became so intense that I forgot the moment of joy even came. A Joseph-style famine, if you will. But I had to reserve and keep it. Because church, here's what I believe about my tears. Here's what I believe about yours. You have to believe that what will be reaped from them is worth the price of shedding them. Why do you think the devil wants your eye? Look at this so I can start to stop this flow. Oh, I'll get your tongue. Let me get your tears first. Because he can't stop that harvest. Church, the word speaks about a city. It speaks about a people that no longer blush when they sin. What about a church that no longer weeps when it sees it? How many seats are empty that shouldn't be? I'm not talking what has yet to come. I'm talking what used to be. And long before they left, their tears dried up. Long before they left, that river, it stopped flowing. And you know what God tries to do? He tries to get us sensitive. And you know what the devil does when he's got a hold of a Thomas? When he's got a hold of a Mitchell and he's got you? and he's working to dry you out, he comes and he hits every single person around them. Because I need you fixated on your own pain that you don't even notice 
theirs. Because now it's just me, 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 me. And the most selfish words can start to come out of our mouths when we're like that. I guess they didn't want it. Really? You never saw them weeping up here? You, you never, ever saw them reaching with God with everything they had? They didn't want it? See, the devil, he knows what he's doing. But I'm telling you, the reason we go to the cross is because of the resurrection power that happens after. Do you understand it says he put the devil under his feet because he got seated up high? And it says we are seated in heavenly places. Do you understand that power isn't about lowering the enemy? It's about elevating the church. When we get to the place and we sit where we're supposed to be, the enemy is automatically positioned where he should be. And the beauty of this is, is that the cross takes place when Jesus says, this is the power of the darkness. This is your hour. This is your hour. Take a good look around, church. Take a look at the world. Really listen. Not to get mad. Not to get frustrated. But to see that darkness is encroaching on our world. And every time darkness encroached, it is because God was about ready to do something that darkness could not contain. Why do you think we have been going through the year we've been going through? It's not because he hates you. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's neglected. It's because of what we're moving to. The resurrection power is about ready to become truly accessible. And a world without hope is about ready to find that there's only been one hope all along. A world that can know no peace will finally meet the prince of it. But he told you, trust me. He told you, this is what I'm going to do. He told you a promise, each and every one of us. And then he told us, as a collective, this is what I'm going to do in Sterling. Then he told us, this is what I'm going to do in the peninsula. Then he told us, this is what I'm going to do in Alaska. Then he's told us, this is what I'll do in America. Then he's told us, this is what I'll pour out on the world. And we still think we can get to that kind of power without crucifixion 
When he was nailed to that cross, the power of God to defeat everything was present. Church, when it's Neil, when it's come back to the cross, for those that have Christ in us, you may suffer a little bit of pain. Because I got to put God where he's supposed to be, in power. I have to let his blood flow. My broken heart. I can't be so hard-hearted that the people's condition does not affect me. And I'll tell you that I have used rapture to do just that. Oh, I wish God would show up. Why? Because in those moments, I have lost the joy of the harvest. I'm just ready to go. I'm so tired of the battle. I'm so tired of the plundering. I'm so sick of the condition. Can you just please get us to go out of here? But look how many would be left to suffer. Is that really what I want? Church, there's not a single person I would ever allow to harm my child. Not while I'm breathing. You come to harm my kid, you and me, we might go see Jesus together. <laughs> hand in hand. <laughs> they need to be fought for too. They don't even have the strength to fight for themselves. And so he sends us. He ordains a prophet. And he starts to work with him. And he starts to give him vision. So that we can capture it. So that we may live. You want to get a good perspective? Be elevated on your cross. And you'll see how many people are hurting. Because he said they know not what they do. Isn't it ironic? And isn't it wonderful that he knew exactly what he was doing? We are bought with a price. We are his. He knows what he's doing. But the moment I lose the joy, I have lost my ability to endure. And the only prayer that ever comes out of my mouth is the other thief. Get me off of this. Get me out of this. Deliver me from this. But the one that got a hold of what the cross was releasing said, take me in to what this is going to open. 
Let me walk in that. What we have been enduring is unlocking what we have been praying for. Places in God we have only ever dreamt and hoped to ever see. That's what is coming to fruition. And church, I'm just here today to try and remind us ever so slightly. I know you're hurting. I know some of you are hurting bad. But I want to remind you, he's not hurting you for the sake of hurting you. We're in this because of what waits us on the other side. There is joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. And this is how we get to it. All I'm asking is for us to shift our focus. Get it off of the cross. And I'm not talking reject the cross. I'm talking reject the pain and get a hold of what Paul said, that I don't even think that the suffering of this world is even worthy to be compared to what we're moving to. I know there have been some hurts, but it is not going to compare to the joy that we are moving to. There have been some struggles and some doubts, but it is not going to compare to what this city is going to move into. So church, for the joy he endured, I'm asking if you are willing to endure Recapture the joy in the name of Jesus Christ. We can please stand. I cannot tell you how much you guys mean to me. I know that there was a place up here of, well, come give thanks, and I just thought it inappropriate to take two pulpits. Well, they're going to have to hear from me in a bit anyway. You know, Sister Megan wrote me a letter. Just expressing thanks. I 
I can't tell you how much that has pulled me through some of my dark times. Does anything I am going through matter? Does anything I do have a purpose? And then I remember in key moments of maybe somebody else's life, God gave me the blessing to touch them. To trust me in their vulnerability not to kill what was slowly dying. And because it got resurrected to life, it brought life when it was me who needed it. It's the same with Thomas. Thomas gave so much praise up here, but let me tell you, the things that Thomas will give, they have inspired me. They have caused me to go into prayer. They have caused me to seek God from angles that I never even considered. The love you guys have shown is so immense. In my darkest moment, the only man I had to turn to was him. I called upon him. Please, I don't know what to do. I need a word. Because I knew a prophet. And without fail, he came through. When I most needed it, the body ministered. What would have happened if he stopped enduring? What we're going through is not for nothing. Look around. We don't see who should be here, but he does. These pews need to be soaked with our tears. These altars should have rivers, rivers flowing from tongues, declaring the promises. Because church, we are on a path of joy. But joy takes endurance. So for those of us that have lost joy, for those of us who have struggled to keep our eye on joy, Today, I want to pray with you together from the same place I open these altars. Please come. Let us pray with you as a body. Let us endure together for the joy we are going to.